morning and thank you for joining me once again as we uh, devote our, our Friday morning devotions to uh, packing for our Sunday uh, worship gathering, preparing uh, to uh, hear uh, the sermon, to be engaged uh, with the sermon. And I always like uh, and uh, to uh, try to give people some, some cues, uh, some tips uh, to be looking for, uh, to be prepared to hear in the course of the sermon. and uh, We make uh, two attempts to, uh, to make this a reality for those that uh, uh, are, are part of the North Clay family. Uh, we send out an email on Thursdays called Preparing for Worship. And usually I just ask a few questions, anywhere from five to a dozen questions that just help you to engage in, in the text and to guide you through uh, the reading of the text. And then the other thing that we've been doing for probably six or eight weeks now is this uh, Friday morning video that we call Packing uh, for uh, the Sermon. And so uh, this Sunday, uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of texts at least, uh, but we'll begin in uh, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. And we, uh, when we surveyed Genesis 2 a few weeks back, we made uh, allusion uh, to this, but I'm, I'm coming back to it. Uh, to to uh, to drill down and to expand some on a theme that I mentioned and introduced to you uh, then. So Genesis two fifteen uh, through seventeen, and uh, again under the the broader theme of reversing the curse uh, that we're all fully aware we uh, live in a fallen world as a result of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. We inherit the consequences of that. Uh, we inherit His guilt. We uh, inherit a sinful disposition, a nature uh, inclined to rebel against God. And we're spiritually uh, dead uh, even in, in conception. So uh, here in uh, Genesis 2.15, uh, God uh, describes, defines uh, the conditions in which uh, the man shall prosper uh, in this realm, this pristine garden, the garden which was in Eden. And uh, let's, let's read the text and uh, I'll introduce you kind of to what I want to uh, draw out of it. The Lord God uh, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, uh, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I made the point that, uh, in essence, this is uh, a covenant of works. Uh, that is, uh, had Adam obeyed, uh, then he would have ensured for himself and his posterity uh, life. Uh, without all of the complications of uh, mortality, of separation from God, uh, from being uh, uh, forced out of the, the Garden of Eden, and all of these terrible implications of sin and rebellion. And I believe part of the implications of this covenant is that at least in some way it foreshadows uh, the, the great offices of the Old Testament, uh, the great offices that are ultimately uh, fulfilled perfectly in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe they are offices that can inform uh, us as to the responsibilities, duties, and privileges of uh, the husband. And I'm going to say at the outset, 
that uh, if certain people uh, listen and think about this, they, they could be really offended. So I hope uh, that's not my desire to unnecessarily uh, offend, and hopefully uh, people will rightly hear uh, what uh, this uh, message is, but uh, uh, even the idea in our world uh, that there could be an authority, a king, is offensive. And so I'm going to say uh, that in Adam, as uh, we see in this passage, and, and really the broader uh, context of Genesis 1 through 3, that Adam is installed as the original prophet, priest, and king. And you say, well, wait a minute, he's under God's authority. He's been given this promise and prohibition and all this business re related to uh, a covenant. And, you know, maybe that's the reminder to us that every earthly king will give an account to the ultimate, to the eternal, to the universal king. Uh, there, there is one who is genuinely a king or the king. In fact, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so uh, whatever position we hold on earth or within the, uh, the church or within the family, we better remember that to that which we were assigned, we will give an account for it. And uh, I would say to, to, to ladies, you'll never have to give an account for being the husband. But the husband will give an account for being the husband. The husband won't have to give an account for being the wife. But he will have to give an account for how he's ministered and treated and led and loved and sacrificed for that wife. So sobering things uh, to think about. But we, we're going to look at how if uh, the husband rightfully, biblically, uh, under the influence of the filling of the Spirit, if he fulfills these roles outlined, uh, again, under Old Testament gu guidelines, prophet, priest, and king, uh, that he uh, will lead his family towards this reversing of the curse, or experiencing uh, in some measure uh, the reversing of the curse, that uh, he is to rule his home. Now, to be sure, again, uh, he is a sacrificial servant leader of his home, but he is the leader. And he is the protector of the home, he is the provider for the home, and all of these things are, are vitally important. And remember, one of the images used to describe the Old Testament kings was shepherd. And so we talked about uh, this previous Sunday, uh, the shepherd shepherds for the good of the sheep. And so uh, if you want to think of yourself husband, uh, and, and rightly you should, as the king of your home, remember, you're the king of your home for the ultimate well-being of those entrusted to your care. What a sobering responsibility. And then uh, the husband is, is the priest in the home. Uh, he is the interceder for his family. As uh, someone mentioned to me uh, yesterday, uh, it came up uh, in, in a discussion in our Disciple Now weekend, but uh, our associate pastor, Pastor Drew, had mentioned uh, that uh, that had Adam, uh, when uh, this encounter with the serpent uh, had uh, had gone down and Eve had eaten uh, the apple, uh, if Adam had st stepped up and as the great interceder for his wife, the great priest for his wife said, kill me, God, kill me, 
I, I will be her substitute. Wow. Yeah. It's impossible to calculate what the difference would have been, but it's an interesting concept that he failed ultimately to be uh, the interceder for his wife. And again, uh, our ultimate priest was our ultimate interceder when he tells the Father, kill me for the sins of my bride. So interesting concept, never had thought about it that way uh, before, but uh, fascinating thing to think about. And then again, the prophet of the home, the communicator of the Word of God, the caller to covenantal faith faithfulness, the caller uh, towards righteousness, uh, all of these aspects of what it means to live prophetically. Now that doesn't mean you wake up every morning and go, well, God told me this is what we're... No, no. What God wants us to know, he began in Genesis 1 and all the way through the concluding chapters and verses of the book of Revelation, he has told us everything we need for life and godliness, right? And so uh, our function as prophet is to rightly divide the word of truth for our family, that we are to feed them upon the Word of God. We're to wash our wife with the water of the Word. Uh, we are to uh, not let the book of the law depart from our mouths. We're to meditate upon it day and night. We're to teach these things to our children as God's prophet uh, in the home. And again, uh, a prophet who will give an account to our perfect prophet one day. And so... Uh, now those are some things to think about. Uh, you might be a little bit aggravated about as you think about them. Uh, certainly husbands, uh, we ought to be sobered as we think about the great assignment given to us uh, by the Word of God. But I pray that this will be a blessing and that you'll be with us uh, as we gather for worship this Sunday at North Clay Baptist Church.